evening, and welcome back to all about Ovid. That's all with an O, about with an O, Ovid with an O. My name is B. Peterson, I am your host, and with me as always is... Uh, well, well, your majesty, I'm, I'm honored to be in your presence. Uh, mm. Mm, I'm, I'm, I'm Some sorry. Some call me Tim. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I either either you're you're Queen Elizabeth or yeah you're one of the the pepper pots from Monty Python's Flying Circus. Uh, my name is Whitney yeah. Seibold. I am a film critic of some stripe or another, uh, wandering in over from uh, my own podcasting network over on the uh, 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 whatever it's called over there. <laughs> critically acclaimed. Okay, I hear critically, it's critically acclaimed. acclaimed. It's something like that. P- critically acclaimed. Yeah. Critically. Yeah. Uh. Yes, uh, um, I, a couple things. Oh no, go ahead. Uh, just yes, I I came over from criti- critically acclaimed, and this is our podcast where we're going to be talking about what we've seen on Ovid this week. And uh, Ovid is right. just just a wonderful place to explore. I didn't get a lot of time this week, sadly. It's been a busy week, mm-hmm. but I always find some time for Ovid, and uh, I'm glad we get to talk about what we're talking about today. Yeah, um, a couple things up top. I just wanted to say is that uh, number one. Um, Luca, the new Pixar film, is out on on DVD, Blu-ray, 4K, all that jazz. It's physical media release. I was I'm really glad that they've got it out in physical media because I wasn't sure that, that was going to happen when they just sent it straight to Disney Plus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Get it's this concern. one. It's get, get this one because you know physical media mattered or whatever. And this this movie in particular, I just, I I think is one of Pixar's best. Anyway, um, Anna and I talked about it on our our uh, uh, finale episode of Fresh from the Margins. But anyway, okay. uh, second thing, um, The Inheritance um, is a film from Ephraim Asili. It's his uh, feature debut, and it's now on the Criterion Channel. I've been waiting to see mm. that film since March, um, and it's now out on the Criterion Channel. Um, and it is about a a guy, uh, this young guy who inherits this uh, building, this house, big house, um, from his grandmother in West Philadelphia, and decides to start this little, um, not convents the wrong, the, the wrong word, a uh, uh, community. What's what's the word? A uh, uh, commune, kind of thing. Anyway, okay. it starts this this little this little uh, uh, commune for um, like educating about like black history and history of various different um like the move organization um the film is a meta narrative it combines documentary and narrative uh, uh storytelling it's one of my favorite films of the year it's really just great anyway and i just so i just want everyone to see that in the criterion channel it's not what we're talking about today but y'all need to see it um, also on the criterion channel is his diaspora suite which is five short films um made in different countries um exploring the various cultures there and those shorts are also all quite great anyway um let's let's get to the our feature presentation or whatever the the music thing anyway (laughs) i don't know what you're talking about Uh, i've I've never heard that tune before oh you haven't that's weird considering you work at the new beverly oh oh, wait wait, um, i hear it six times a day (laughs) <laughs> yeah um la cordillera de los sueños the cordillera of dreams uh we both saw mm. um this past week well actually we both saw it last night um and uh yeah this is uh the latest film from director patricio guzman and uh who is a chilean uh documentary filmmaker who has been making uh films about the politics in chile mm. Um, for the past like 
30 years, um, 30, 40, 50 years now, and while doing it from outside the country. Um, and this is uh, a film about, well, well, why, why don't you explain it? Uh, well, yeah, Patricio Guzman uh, is really interested in sort of um, the Chilean national character, um, you know, in that... Uh, to, to come right out of the gate with a word that's going to alienate everybody in the Hegelian sense. Uh, he, um, <laughs> I know, I know. Whenever I bring up Hegel or Nietzsche, everybody's eyes turn to glass, and, and that's totally fine. I understand. Uh, but I remember hearing Nagel, Hegel's name once in like a philosophy of film class, and I don't hmm. remember what it meant. Oh, <laughs> uh, Hegel, you know bandied about a lot of uh, different ideas but uh, what he did also one of one of the ideas that Hegel put forth was that a place has uh, a essentially a place has a character like a city has a character community uh, has a character something that kind of grows organically even if or if it's constructed that's part of its character and that's where we uh, where we got the popularized term the zeitgeist the ghost of the place and um so uh, that that's when I bring up Hegel's name. That's kind of what I'm talking about. Uh, but yeah, that's what All Patricio right. Guzman is interested in. He's looking at Chile and trying to figure out what it is, what's going on in that place, and uh, particularly how it relates to the presidency of Salvador Allende and the rise of um, Augusto Pinochet, who uh, killed Allende and was like in a military coup and was a dictator for uh, the the better part of a decade. Um, oh no, was the how long was the the uh, the the Pinochet well, the dictatorship? Coup in, the the coup was in nineteen seventy three, mm-hmm. and I think he I think it was nineteen ninety when when the dictatorship ended, or right around there. Yeah, ruled ruled over Chile as as a dictator for for many many years, right. and um, and. There was a lot of violence in the street, but uh, also a lot of it wasn't being really reported on. Uh, the media was kind of complicit. Uh, the information we got back here in the United States was uh, incomplete at best uh, and misleading at worst. And uh, uh, Patricio Guzman, uh, who left the country right when the like right when the coup was starting and never really looked back, has been looking back at Chile and trying to figure out what the heck happened there without wanting to go back and experience the dictatorship. Uh, And The Cordillera of Dreams, his latest film, was made in 2019. It was highly acclaimed when it was released. uh, Is kind of a... It's an interview piece where he's talking about how the echo of the dictatorship is now... Uh, sort of floating back into the art and how the actual physical geography of Chile might have a lot to do with how isolated it is. Um, if you know the mm-hmm. if you know the geography of Chile, it, it is a um, a long north south running country that is in, uh, runs the entire length of the southern portion of South America and is on the coast, like sandwiched right between the coast and the Andes. Uh, so right. it, it's. It's essentially just the entire beach of South America uh, kind of isolated <laughs> off as its own nation. Uh, and uh, the mount- the big mountain range, like the big iconic mountain, is the Cordillera. And uh, Patricio Guzman points out how this 
like one particular peak in the Andes has been used as sort of the national symbol, the same way uh, like Half Dome is used to represent California or, uh, you know, mm-hmm. other famous, you know, physical monuments are used to represent the nation, uh, Mount Fuji, uh, used to represent Japan. And how it's made its way onto, like, murals, and as he points out in the documentary, it's used a lot on matchboxes. Uh, they, they print this idea that this is the Chilean national character, and he uses the matchbox as a particularly potent symbol that there's actually incendiary revolution or some kind of violence waiting inside behind this placid uh, national symbol. Um he talks to an artist who uses actual physical stones from the Cordillera to sculpt. Uh, he uses, uh, he talks to a, a musician who was uh, there when the coup happened when she was a child, uh, and how a lot of what the Pinochet uh, regime left behind was this kind of internalized uh social division that has been sort of an an echo of what the military coup kind of started. Um, Most excitingly, he talks to, let me look up uh, the the documentary filmmaker's name. Um, Pablo Sara. Pablo Sara. Uh, Pablo Sara, um, in a a wonderful, uh, wonderful locations for his interviews, is sitting in his, like, editing bay, kind of showing off all of the old videotapes he used uh, and you know when when he's just holding up these old video cassettes, it's like my heart is singing. It's really wonderful, uh, <laughs> just as as an old film archivist. And he's holding up these cassettes, like this cassette could only hold two hours. This one, the smaller one, could hold four. And uh, he was there during the coup, and it was actually filming a lot of the violence. So, uh, Patricio Guzman is also using uh, the way we use media and the way we we record history uh, is not necessarily going to reflect on the truth if it's being hidden or if it's being sort of stored away somewhere. Uh, you know, right. the, the, the revolution and the truth is elusive even as you're recording it. And I think that's... Yeah. It, so the, the film functions not only as a character study of the nation of Chile, uh, but it's also about sort of the effect the ephemeral nature of media that we consider to be kind of per- semi-permanent in a way. Um, it's a, yeah. it's a um, fascinating, great piece of work. Like it's really hypnotic. I, I loved this film. Like, <laughs> yeah. like capital L loved it. Um, I, this was, this was a film that I had been meaning to get around to for, I mean, since 20, since the fall of 2019, um, because, um, I was at film school and, uh, one of my professors who, um, her name was, uh, her name is Joy Dietrich. Um, she, she was, she had, um, and another professor that I never got to meet, um, Tenzin uh, Futsong, had directed this, uh, a documentary themselves, which was also about political, uh, turmoil, uh, in Tibet called Rituals of Resistance. Hmm. Um, and that was making, uh, the festival rounds at the same time as, uh, Cordillera of Dreams. Um, and she had in her office this gigantic poster of La Cordillera de los Sueños. And it's just, it's a gorgeous poster, first of all. It's very simple um, with just this gorgeous shot of a mountain. And and so, and at the bottom is like this big lake. 
um, that's been frozen over and and it's just this that image just stuck in my head and when I went through on Ovid like the first time when I was first creating my list uh, the Cordillera Dreams was one of the first thing I added to my list because it's like aha I recognize <laughs> you um, uh, just side tangent um, Icarus Films I know that you like I know that you retweet uh, when I uh, uh, retweet my links to my podcast mm-hmm. um, so that maybe if you could track down Rituals of Resistance and maybe get it on Ovid please because I'd like to see my professor's film <laughs> uh, it's it's really hard to find um, anyway uh, but like go to the end of dreams I love the way that it sneaks up on you because for the first 25 minutes it's just about the mountains mm-hmm. and the artists talking about the mountain and the mountain range and the Andes. And it's just talking about the geography. And oh my word, this film is shot so beautifully. Like it is so easy to, when, it, when you're coming to, to like a, a documentary about like some nature or mountain or thing to just get some b-roll and it's like all right that's the mountain or whatever but the every single shot of this of of uh la cordillera is just gorgeous to look at like the the everything this this film is shot brilliantly i I love like documentaries especially like talking heads documentaries Mm. they can get kind of tedious to look at um because you're just looking at people sitting in rooms talking to the interviewer off camera but this i don't know what it is about how this film is shot but there is there is no frame that is not dynamic and that especially the case when it comes to like all of the aerial footage of the mountains and the cities Mm -hmm. below in the valleys and all this stuff but it's for the first 25 minutes it's just talking about the mountain there's no mention of the political whatever it's just Mm -hmm. it's artists talking about how the geography has influenced their art Da, 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 da. And then Patricio Guzman, who is narrating this documentary, we never see him, we just hear him. Um, and he talks about his childhood home, and, and then I left um, because there was a coup in 1973 on the day that I shot my last roll of film for my documentary about Chilean politics. <laughs> um, and from there on, it is we from there we meet uh, Pablo Sara and we see a lot of his footage mm. um, from uh, well he was started shooting in like 86 but we from the tail end of the dictatorship and it's just I mean it's 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 a thing that we need to remember is that like the stuff that we that happened last year and ha- it's it's not new like this is stuff that that is happening that has happened all over the world where fascism rise up and police brutality and all of these abuses of power. And it's, we get to see it on full display there with peaceful protesters, just like fire hoses mm-hmm. and cops just going in and beating people up and throwing people in trucks. And pain, like painful, one of painful, painful to watch. It is, it is hard to watch. Like I, I was brought to tears throughout like this middle section of this film. Um, and like one of the people who shot uh, the Battle of Chile, um, one of his one of his friends. It was just these five guys with with cameras who made uh, his his this the film that made Patricio Guzman famous um, was abducted and tortured, and we don't know what happened to him. Mm-hmm. We assume that he um, and his partner just they died. They were killed, and as a result of this 
as a as a result of the Pinochet dictatorship, and the the and then the middle half is just all of these artists and talking about like yeah this is this is what happened and Pablo Sada is like yeah this is what I filmed and I only filmed like five percent of it mm-hmm. like I should have filmed more I didn't get the worst stuff and and it's this brutal interrogation of everything that happened in as a result of the 73 coup and then the last third of this film is talking about after the dictatorship how the economy is essentially just preserved that way of that system Mm. even though it's technically not a dictatorship where now we've got neoliberalism in place um, this is uh, something that is also explored in uh, Cuaron's 1999, or sorry, 2001 film that takes place in the 90s, um, Y tu mamá también, which is also an exploration mm. of how neoliberalism kind of ruined Mexico. Um, as And La Cordillera of Dreams um, is basically talking about how neoliberalism kept the oppression at, intact, that, that all of the people in power stayed in power. And all of the poor people stayed poor. And that, yeah, we tr- we look as if we've improved so much since the dictatorship ended. But it's only for certain people. And, yeah, and it's because we're just cut off from the world that people, because of this geographical um, feature, that that we're, we're all just kind of stuck, mm-hmm. aren't we? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And... It's 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 brilliant. I, it's I well I'm not usually I don't usually go for these kinds of documentaries um, where it's you know the I don't know less you know less plain with form. But this one just it it does it straight and it does it beautifully. And I was enraptured from start to finish. Well, uh, but Patricio Guzman uh, just he's about to turn eighty, and uh, th- he's clearly looking back over his whole life. He's um, he's a lot more uh, thoughtful about the things that he's filming and he's trying to think about what he's doing. So when he's talking about uh, sort of the, the, the fall of his country and the, the sort of corruption of uh, Chile's national character, he's not doing it from a point of outrage. Um, and this is of course where I get to compare him to Lav Diaz uh, Lav Diaz makes a, <laughs> has made many films about uh, the Philippines and the Marcos dictatorship therein and how that has left a stain on the Philippines. And uh, Lav Diaz, especially uh, with his last film, Genus Pan, was left in a nihilistic mood. He is outraged and angered about the world, and he's feeling very dark about it. Uh, the world is a horrible place, we learn at the end of Genus Pan, and human beings are not to be trusted because they will destroy the world. Patricio Guzman is uh, hes an older man, and he is a lot more thoughtful and trying to sort of suss out his disappointment, I think, with uh, his country and with humanity. He's not outraged. He's not angry. Uh, he does feel a lot of love and affection, but he's also deeply ambivalent about how this has sealed off his country from the rest of the world. Uh, and as such, we get a much more thoughtful film f- taken from the perspective of artists, uh, not political dissidents, not people who are there to uh, 
try try to um I don't want to say advance an agenda because that sounds a little too aggressively political, but characters who are there to be less aggressive in their viewpoints and are a little bit more, uh, for lack of a better word, nostalgic about the past and uh, are trying to reconcile uh, their own love and passion for their country with how horrible it is. Uh, mm-hmm. all while putting everything that they know about their country into a broader historical context. Uh, there are a lot of films about it, a country's history that try to focus on a single event and the things that stem from it. And Patricio Guzman is trying to capture something a much larger, and that's national character. And that requires a much slower, broader view of what the nation is over the longer term. When you're 80 years old, you have that much more experience to draw on. And I think he is... This This isn't a film that could have been made by a young man. This is something that can only be made by somebody who yeah. has those decades of perspective. Um, right. And I'm just kind of and rambling it's, it's, here, but I, I did really love it yeah. as well. Yeah, and and it's not just uh, Guzman who's who's got the experience. It's I, I Everything that we get from Pablo Sada is mm. just delightful because he's 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 been in the thick of it his whole life like he he's been there from the beginning and he's been filming since the 80s and he's still filming mm-hmm. um like going out and recording protests and like it's just it's what he does like he is trying to he is trying to preserve um these memories of of injustice and and he talks about it's funny how he 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 talks about like kids these days essentially is like where He's like, you know, I was out there and back in back in the back in the eighties and you could get really good shots. Nowadays you got all these people with their phones recording things <laughs> and just like you're man, you're ruining my shot. Like, come on. I'm trying to get I'm trying to capture this this person getting dragged into a police vehicle and you you walk into my shot with your phone. Like, come on. <laughs> um and it's and and so he, and it, and it's like okay old 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 man um but at the same time he's like yeah i'm he, he'll say is like in this in the same breath is like i'm super glad because i'm not the only one doing it anymore mm. that there will that hopefully that i wasn't i wasn't able to capture enough stuff in my youth just because of like my technological limitations um and like i could only record for a couple hours at a time like my battery just didn't last that long nowadays people can record so much more and that hopefully is like we like we're writing our they they it says in the films like we are writing our national memory with with what we record and now hopefully we can be more we'll be able to be more honest with ourselves now that we're able to document this yeah. um, more thoroughly. And well, I, yeah, it's, I, I, I pre- it's, it's, I, I appreciate the optimism, but you know, we, we, we've seen it happen in real time where somebody is actually captured on film doing something shady and they'll just say, no, that's not real. And they'll move on. Uh, it's, it's right. incredibly frustrating the way dictatorships work, even in the age where everything is on film. Mm-hmm. Right, and and they talk about how like Chile still doesn't really acknowledge what it did, mm. um, like where they said at at one point there's this good bit is like yeah uh, uh, we've made some uh, some errors um, so unos errores and they say no horrores horrors like you've you've made horrors mm. not errors <laughs> um, and 
and yeah, I just I I found I found the whole character of, of Pablo Sada just fascinating to 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 watch, and and he also talks about with kids these days is like back in my day, we were you know people were getting tortured and killed, and nowadays you're just wanting you know like rights for for women and mm. and like abortion rights and all these different things and like and they're the issues of today and like they're important issues, but like back in my day, <laughs> it was way more exciting. That's true. It, it was weird that uh, he was. Uh, yeah, n- nostalgic for the days of being tortured, and there was a lot. Yeah, a lot more he's, going he's on. Got, he's got that kind of it's maybe not sadistic, but just like that that weird fascination with with that. Mm. Uh, this it reminded me a lot of the documentary War Photographer. Um, have you seen that film? No, um, it was no, no. it was pretty cl- claimed. It came out in like two thousand four. I saw it at at film while I was at film school, mm-hmm. and, it's a, and it's a documentary about this war photographer, and like how how strange of a person you have to be to take that up as a profession, mm-hmm. to like go out into hellish places and want to get the worst stuff on film, mm-hmm. and like the kind of just the weird mindset you have to be. Like, are you exploiting these people that you're you're documenting, and all, all this different thing, all these different aspects, and and Pablo Sada, I feel like, would fits within that area where it's just like you're a weird dude. Like, I'm glad that you're doing what you're doing, but you you you've got some weird, you've got a weird <laughs> mindset. Um, it it takes a strange mindset to do what you're doing, but yeah, uh, La Cordillera de los Sueños is is a, a brilliant documentary. I think it would make a really good companion piece to like the act of killing. Yeah. And, like the look yeah, of yeah. silence, like those two films is specifically with like how Indonesia's uh, dark past. Mm-hmm. Um, that, yeah, that, that they, this, this fits within a, a, it's, it's a great political piece, yeah. a great piece of political art. And, and I highly recommend that everyone check it out. Yeah. I, I, uh, um, I, I, I was also thinking about the act of killing and and uh, and the look of silence uh, while watching this one, and I think the look of the the Oppenheimer films about Indonesia, and mm-hmm. uh, I feel like the act of killing, uh, in retrospect, has like a bit of artificiality about it. It's supposed to be about how you know military military dictators see themselves via the language of film which feels a little too mm-hmm. gimmicky whereas the look of silence actually is a lot more direct and it's uh, you know right. i think i like more... the look of silence more than i like the act yeah. of killing i i used to be really really high on the act of killing but uh oh gosh what did i just say out loud um i <laughs> <laughs> I, I used to really enjoy the film Got him. the act of fbi Kill. no 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 don't take that out of context no ah uh, no i used i used to really like the act of, um the film the act of killing uh <laughs> as sort of like this example as to you know really exploding what a dictatorship looks like but uh mm-hmm. when you actually get down into the history of it and you watch something like the cordillera of dreams you see that uh it, it all comes from a really kind of aggressively banal place and it really is just about brunt power it's not that sophisticated so i feel like uh the act of killing puts some like fancy clothes on some of these concepts whereas uh mm-hmm. The look, of, the look, look of silence. Of, I mean, it's it's just a guy yeah. confronting people. Yeah, and the that's, that's look of silence is you know when he actually has some of these people cornered, they just sort of fall back on their usual denial tactics, and right, and it's right. it's also childish, and that that I think mm-hmm. is a little bit more true. 
than something like right. the act of killing, which is a little bit like it has a lot of very important points and it's incredibly powerful, but it's also a little bit gimmicky uh, yeah. for my taste. Everything. Yeah. Everything with the movie, like the making of the film, I felt was just like, wow, that is, that's a lot. Um, the stuff that connected with me is the one, the one figure who like, they're just, they're basically just interviewing and, and him like talking about, it's like, yeah. And I, this was the rooftop where we killed like hundreds of people. And I just did it mm-hmm. right here. And I would just take this wire and wrap it around their neck and pull. And, and it's just like incredibly graphic, but it Frank. And then at the end of the film, like it's just watching him break down and realize what he did yeah, yeah. and come to terms like that. That I felt is where the act of killing succeeds. Mm. The movie stuff does feel just like a, this feels so unethical. Like imagine, like imagine if it, like if people, a version of the producers, but made by Nazis and it's just yeah, like, yeah. what, what am I watching? Why? Wh- what is it? Why that, am I even that would be a f- witnessing fascinating this? It, it experiment? Feels, it's just to so be dark. Sure, uh, it's so trying dark. to, yeah, that would be a fascinating experiment to be sure. Uh, if um, someone were to make a film from that perspective, not actually letting a dictator make their own movie, but to have somebody make a film as if it were made by a dictator, uh, but at the same time, that's. It, it would be difficult to parse out the what's the ethics between, what's the ethics of that and how would that look different from a dictator actually glorifying themselves uh it it's it would be a really right. really fine line to walk and um would you be able to make it without it just functioning as terrible propaganda yeah like a, a satire of propaganda unfortunately looks exactly like propaganda it's it's difficult to to separate right. the two um Yep. Speaking of uh, propaganda that needs to be taken okay, down. Okay. 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 <laughs> let me. Uh, let me. Tr- so okay. Uh. So yeah. So the other thing that we watched was um, Best of Fest, um, which is on like one of our first episodes. I talked about Best of Fest one, um, which was a series of eight dance short films, um, mm. and. Talked about them all there, and Best of Fest 2 was also on Ovid, and I finally got around to it, and Whitney, this morning, was it, that, that, it, it you, was, uh, yeah. that you just cranked them out? It was just this morning I was yeah. able to watch these, uh, because they're they're pretty short. Altogether, they're, uh, I think, less than uh, the length of a feature film, or about the length of a feature film. And uh, yeah, so right. I was able to sit it's... down and watch these these eight shorts, and... Um, yeah, they're all uh, they're all dance and or movement based films, uh, experimental shorts that use dance and movement to uh, explore ideas and certain themes. Uh, some of them are are really really fascinating. Some of them are just beautiful to look at. Some of them are a little bit opaque uh, and difficult to suss mm-hmm. out. Uh, but they're all uh, interesting and ambitious works of art. And I, I have some of my right. favorites. Uh, I have uh, some of my least favorites, but uh, we can we can talk about mm-hmm. them now. Yeah, uh, why, I was thinking, uh, why don't we just go through them in alphabetical order? Okay. Um, so uh, that would lead us to start with uh, Bean, which is a seven-minute short from uh, Pablo Destido. And it is one of the only ones in here that has an actual, like, some semblance of narrative. Yeah. Um, we open with a dancer on the way to dance class. Uh, she drops her phone. Oh man, isn't that relatable? Um, and but, uh, in, then, in so it, doing, <laughs> she steps on a flower. 
And that, yes, that's, that's, yes. that's the central symbol of this short. And uh, when she uh, picks her foot up off of the flower and the flower stands back up again. And that's kind of the... Right. The... the, the the idea of uh, re-emerging and and beauty surviving. Yeah, uh, but she goes basically. She goes to dance class with, and it's and it's in this gorgeous glass building. Mm. Um, that is, it's just one large glass, like one large room with glass walls that look out into like the park that is around them and it's this troop of dancers and they go about their rehearsal rehearsing this routine and it's all very straightforward and then we get a moment where it slows down and it suddenly becomes almost like asmr about like being it's out of all of the shorts that i've seen now it's the one that actually puts you in the place of the dancer of like this is what it feels like to be in these movements where you're almost you're tuning everything out um like the music goes fades and it's just every you're tuning everything out it's just about these movements and this feeling of brushing up against um your partner and the the way that your hair flies around your body and it's just and it it's actually about being a dancer Ooh, there's the title um (laughs) And then it she comes out of that moment, and they finish the routine, and she goes home. And it's this very simple, simple short, and I, I quite, I quite liked it yeah. um, about actually putting you in the place of like, of being able to experience the, the, the high that mm. being in the throes of movement gets you. Yeah, there, I've I've seen numerous uh, feature films that have moments like that about sort of losing yourself right. to the ecstasy of the dance floor. Um, I, I, if you've seen Lynn Ramsey's film Morvern Kalar, that's very much about that, about mm-hmm. this sort of weird hypnotic trance you put yourself into when you're out on a dance floor. Oh, there's Morvern Kalar. Uh, I, I like yeah, Morvern It Kal- hasn't been released mm-hmm. since 2003 on physical media. That is a crime. Uh, Criterion's putting out Ratcatcher on Blu-ray in like October, November. Finally, it's only been on DVD for since they first put it out, and they're finally putting it out on Blu-ray. You need to put out more Van Kalar on Blu-ray because it's I I consider it to be Lynn Ramsey's best work. Um, um, I, the I, way that that film does feel it it's it's so tactile. Yeah, yeah and. and- this is a, a a dance film where we're not meant to like we're meant to watch the dance and there's a lot, lot of wide shots of the mm-hmm. the dance class and everybody and like high overhead shots of them swirling around and we can appreciate the choreography but uh this is one of the only shorts that is kind of i guess this one and forest floor um are about sort of the the intimacy of it and yeah the actual um the time, one of the only times where we actually get close-ups of what it feels like to be, like, what that ecstasy of the dance is. Um, right. And I think that, like I said, I've seen this in a lot of feature films, and usually it's used as kind of a plot point or maybe an intermission in a larger story. And when you take it out of context in a short, like, being, it actually gives a lot more potency to that moment, because that's what the whole film is about now. Uh, so it... It, yeah. it is a little like there's a little bit more beauty in having it just be about the dance rather than use the dance to underline something like a romance or uh, or a, mm-hmm. a, a freeing moment. This is the moment yeah. they fell in love. Or, or the, the or moment she, the moment she realized she was free. Um, there's uh, 
No. Uh, uh, it's just about the movement. Yeah, it's just yeah, about enjoying the dance. And there's a pretty good film out there uh, with Holly Hunter called Living Out Loud. And it's about uh, an, yeah. a woman who learns to discover herself again. And there's a dance sequence in that. She takes some ecstasy go and goes to, uh, oh. accidentally goes to a lesbian bar. And uh, like while she's on ecstasy oh. and uh, it's sort of like just out there swaying to the music. Like you do. And then it just springs into a choreographed dance number where she kind of has this fun. this freeing moment and that's a fun moment in that movie um i, I missed that part in incredibles too um yeah. <laughs> when elastigirl takes ecstasy uh and goes to a lesbian bar she does uh, there there is like, i mean there is the moment in, in, in incredibles 2 there's this queer-coded, yeah, character. queer-coded character where they kind yeah. of have this pseudo uh vaguely romantic moment but uh yeah in being, you know, we get to have it be just about the being, and it's really, really wonderful. Although, mm-hmm. uh, I I do have a complaint about this, but I'll bring that up, my complaint up, when we talk about a different film, because it's actually much more pronounced in, um... Okay. Uh, in, uh, uh, what's it called? Lost... Lost Horse. Horse. Yeah, we're not yeah, about we'll, Lost we'll Horse. Yeah, we'll get to that yeah. Um, tr- can you try to dis- I want to hear how you describe uh, the circadian cycle this is Gary Stewart's 16 minute short okay um, the circadian cycle is a day in the life of the natural world uh, and standing in for elements of the natural world are dancers uh, so what we have is uh, kind of like a day sun up to sundown the circadian cycle uh where you know the sun comes up uh we get to see animals waking up we get to see plants blooming but instead of animals and plants we have dancers it's essentially a a mime of nature and uh it's an australian dance troupe and it's australian nature which means it is gorgeous and bonkers all at once uh the the australian natural world is uh, a, a to the eye of this jaded Los Angeles uh, dweller, uh, <laughs> a, a much wild and more wilder and more exciting place than you know, sort of the natural world we got around here, which usually involves pigeons. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, it, it's it's uh, this experimental uh, dance, like modern dance routine, where they're trying to uh, depict the the actual natural world but also sort of like a a human interpretation of the natural world you know living and dying and animals coming about to to birth and death and all of the you know the big all of those big things uh (laughs) but uh you know the the dance is really really gorgeous all of the uh the modern dancers sort of have this really elaborate choreography where they're dancing in small groups or they're dancing as individuals uh, a lot of them seem to be in kind of a the throes of this death-like ecstasy as they throw their bodies about in these really gorgeous Australian landscapes. So it's like part nature documentary, part dance film. Yeah, and and not just gorgeous Australian landscapes, but the costumes are wild <laughs> in in this short. The, the circadian cycle was my favorite of okay. of these eight, uh, um, just because. Yeah, it's just goes for it man um like we open and it's just it, like the the first uh main uh dancer that we see like literally emerges from the earth mm. in like this scaly gown it, thing it, it, and it's like yeah it's it's like partly lizard 
kind of like fetish wear that the Cenobites from Hellraiser Maybe like a might pangolin? Yeah. Like it's, it's, yeah, it's this, it's this, yeah, uh, it's these wild, wild costumes throughout and they're just, and it's twitching and stuttering. Like it's this, it's, it is trying to evoke, you know, animal-like, beast-like uh, 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 movements and we have this crew of, of dancers clad in in blue on like tw- near, near the shore that are like forming like this weird like uh, uh almost like a jellyfish thing <laughs> and it's 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 yeah it, it, this this short is hypnotic and and visceral they have, at one point evoke a peacock with these gigantic mm-hmm. stalks of bamboo it looks like and yeah this this one this one's wild and and uh, beautiful to look at yeah, and man. yeah ends with them all plunging into the sea and, <laughs> oh, uh, so so cool and, and i gotta say i i i have a, a weird weakness for this kind of modern dance where it okay. where there is just sort of a lot of uh, uh sort of flailing and prestidigitation uh really kind of exploring the extremes of the human body in this you know presentational kind of way it's and especially in this short it's very animalistic there's a lot of people sort of like crawling and writhing around uh you know there's something to be said for you know choreographed tap and that's incredibly impressive too but this is sort of exploring sort of the outer edges of what dance can be and i appreciate that especially when Mm -hmm. you're trying to connect it to the outer world um Right. And yeah, Let's go full carnal here. We'll have just this incredibly jacked guy just kind of tremble in slow motion yeah. in the forest and then get jumped on <laughs> by a dancer from somewhere up in the sky mm. just came out of nowhere and just tackled him. Yeah. Like it's just it's yeah, the imagery here is is delightfully weird um. and yeah, I this was my favorite. Yeah, I, 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 I this is my favorite. I I liked it a lot. Uh there is however you know, if, if somebody is a little bit um, of an outsider to modern dance or experimental film, this is going to feel kind of like mm-hmm. a parody. Like, yeah, this is this is modern okay. dance about the natural world, and I can, like, hear from miles away people's eyes rolling. Uh, it's... Uh, I think it's a really beautiful work of art, and it needs to be engaged with. Uh, this isn't the one I would mm-hmm. start with, however. Uh, this is... Okay. You know, all right. Um, start with it, man. Just get plunged. Um, no. Uh, <laughs> uh, next up is Dusk. Uh, this is uh, our first repeat uh, filmmaker. And Best of Fest 1, uh, the short Beast, mm-hmm. um, uh, was from, from the same filmmaker, Enrique Piña. And that one was about um, a, an exploration of architecture, this gigantic concrete stadium. And these uh, men running around with flags and eventually ending up naked on the pitch of this football field, uh, humping the ground. Um, and <laughs> here, here we have a woman exploring. I think it's a museum, like this, yeah, on a cliff. It's the contemporary. And I, we have a. I looked it up. It's the contemporary art museum in Madeira, Spain. Okay, um, and. And this is an exploration of, yeah, of that museum. And it's a lone dancer who, for the majority of this, is dancing on the wall Mm. of 
of this thing just over the cliff um she's attached to a harness to a rope and she's just doing a routine on the wall um and i gotta say um i liked this way more than the similar sequence in in the heights um i found Well, in, because in, she's actually doing it. Yeah, well, in in, in uh, the Heights was was about you know flash and style and and fantasy and uh, right. they, they had a rotating set so they could uh, dance up on the side of a mm-hmm. wall. Um, yeah, this is uh, the dancer is suspended by a cable, like kind of bungee jumping up and down the wall a little bit, and uh, right. essentially trying to have a two person slow dance with a building, and I think that's a mm-hmm. really uh, really sort of fascinating thing uh it is it's a film that's trying to make the space into a a living being and uh i think an art museum is a great place to do that um i was reminded of the uh the order sequence from matthew barney's crew master three where he does this uh, performance piece where he <laughs> climbs up the interior of the guggenheim okay and... you have to finish the bottle he said cray master three all right here we go three finish the bottle folks look i like i like crew master three it's only a matter of time i like crew master three i think it's a wonderful movie um but yeah, a, a portion of that was released on home video, so you can actually see this part. The rest hasn't been released on home video. But uh, yeah, the, the portion where Matthew Barney dresses up in this wild outfit and uh, yeah, essentially does like a mountain climb up the interior of the Guggenheim and is using each level of the Guggenheim to explore some uh, different artistic concept, uh, which only makes sense in the mind of Matthew Barney. But uh, he... Uh, here, the, the director, Enrique Pina, is really interested in um, yeah, using an artistic space, a place where art happens, uh, as, you know, the, the, the place where the ghosts of all of these concepts and pieces of beauty come to rest as yeah. this kind of living edifice, this rock on, out on a cliff, and using sort of this dancer to put life into the building. Uh, it looks a little absurd at times because we do see somebody trying to dance with a building, but at the same time, Mm -hmm. it's just kind of like bouncing off of it over and over again. (laughs) But, uh, but I did like, uh, sort of the expression of the dancer. We get to see a lot of close-ups of her face and we get to sort of see, even if we're not getting sort of a, a sense as to what the building is, we're getting a good sense as to her passion and what she is sort of drawing out of the building. So it is this kind of intimate right. interplay between an art museum and a person. And I, I appreciate that. I like right. that. Yeah. Uh, my favorite shot was the first one where she's basically like, she's just, she's, you know, hanging on the side of the building. And then she just, it's the first shot of her like getting on her feet and the camera is looking up. So it looks like she's just standing up, mm-hmm. but it's this weird, you know, gyroscopic effect where you're like whoa anyway and, and i just got, and I, it was it was just way cooler to me. i thought that the the bitten in the heights it just the 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 very clear uh use of visual effects in in that one just kind of took me out of it and we're here is like it felt so much more real man um and yeah by the time that you're at the sunset it's just this gorgeous building you're just like oh yeah mm. um anyway uh, so that's Dusk. Uh, you mentioned Forest Floor, so that's the next one up. Uh, a five-minute short uh, from Robbie Singe, signed. I'm not sure how to pronounce the last name, but this one I saw from the thumbnail that I, I knew I was going to be fascinated with because dance films 
and athleticism in general has been something that I've always been a little, you know, a little felt a little distance from specifically because it is so um, it's geared toward a certain body type and forest floor subverts that. So why don't you talk about forest floor? Hmm. Well, uh, I, I mentioned at, at the start that these are dance films, but they're more movement films. And I think that's uh, that's something about Forest Floor. This is about uh, two people. Their names are Julie and Robbie. And it is about how um, the natural world uh, is not readily accessed by uh, by the disabled. Uh, Julie is, is disabled. She uh, can't move her arms or legs, uh, but... Uh, this is a film about a process about how they are cutting wood so they can get her uh, her wheelchair down through some rough terrain. Uh, it is about how the two of them move through the forest and get to experience the, nat- the natural world through this uh, process of helping one another and using a lot of uh, physical movement, essentially a dance, to get out to, mm. to a, a rural place. And... Uh, Right. Not, not only is it sort of a contemplation of the movements required to bond with nature, but it's also a, a, a cry for accessibility. It actually has a lot of mm-hmm. uh, a lot to say about uh, ableism and how we think of art and how we think of dance and how we even think of something simple like going on a hike as being kind of an ableist thing and how the disabled uh, uh, need access to that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there's a there's a short sequence in here where they're basically trying to get Julie sitting up, um, mm-hmm. like from a bit higher up, so that you can see. And basically, what they have to do is they put down all of these wooden planks, and they she sits on one half, and they slide another one, and then she mm-hmm. leans over, and they slide another one. And it's just this process of like putting in like like forty different pieces, like different pieces of wood, just gradually mm-hmm. lifting her up. And and like the amount of effort that goes into that, and all of this builds to ultimately like they put down these these uh, pieces of wood to create this sort of dance floor, and it all leads to this like it ends with this fifteen second routine, very simple, but there is such a sense of calm in it. Mm-hmm. Um, this is maybe the most peaceful of of all of the shorts here, and it just it evokes a a meditation and. I, I really loved it and yeah it's it's something that yeah just the we shouldn't like impressive choreography needn't only be for like the people who can do jumps and flips and kicks and all that stuff you can yeah. anyone anyone is capable of of creating art movement through or art through movement and mm-hmm. and yeah this is a, a great uh, uh, exploration of that, and yeah, I, yeah. I really, I really, really liked Forest Floor. Um, and uh, so. I, I liked the relationship between Julie and Robbie as well. They kind of like we get to hear them right. speaking, and they just sort of converse and talk, right? And kind of laugh with one another, and uh, that that's a, a mm-hmm. real like their warmth is really important. You can tell that they're close friends. Yes. Right. Yeah. Mm. And and then on the opposite end of that is ID from Cass Mortimer Epper, which is the coolest thing you've ever seen from two thousand and three. Yeah, that, that's this, this short is... reminded me of the like 
Abercrombie and Fitch, like, like, I don't remember, like, it was this, I remember going through the mall when I was a kid, and there was this, there was this store, I don't remember if it was Abercrombie and Fitch, but it was, like, had all of these big black and white photos of, like, half-naked people looking cool, mm-hmm. and, like, this denim and stuff, and it was just like, whoa, that seems adult to my, like, six-year-old self or whatever, and ID is kind of evoking the same thing. It's, um, it's a, it's a group of, like, six or so dancers in this warehouse, and it's edited to look like it's a one with all these slick camera movements, but you can tell that it's edited, uh-huh. um, and it's shifting through all these different color filters and it's just these various different dancers bouncing off each other having their own solo movements and it's just so edgy and hard and and it's 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 2000s cool (laughs) it's um oh god it's really really unfortunate that a lot of um abstract modern film techniques and dance techniques have been completely 100% co-opted by by Madison Avenue, essentially. These are techniques we're so used to seeing in TV commercials that now I'm watching a, a film like ID and thinking, yeah, where's the Benetton logo at the end of this? Where's the Levi's mm-hmm. logo? It's like, uh, I, I remember um, when I was working at the New Art, we had this uh, really beautiful short film and it was a bunch of young people like in their like late teens, early 20s and they're out in the in the world just sort of like firing off fireworks and taking off their shirts and running around in the natural world and drinking beer and just being young while uh, uh over the soundtrack somebody was reading pioneers o pioneers and it was about sort of this celebration of life and youth and and vitality and then at the very end the levi's logo appeared on the screen i was like well okay that short film is now gar- <laughs> is just complete garbage now you you completely tainted it it's a commercial. I don't care how glorious it was. It The film has no meaning anymore. So it's difficult to watch a film like ID, and this is true of actually at least one other short here, uh, to look at this beautiful choreography uh, in cliched photography student location number three, the abandoned warehouse. Uh, sorry, was the cemetery taken mm. up? Were, were, the, were the train tracks busy? Uh <laughs> I, I apologize. So the choreography is great, and I do like the dance. But no, it's great. I, I'm I'm having trouble getting into it as a dance piece because it feels too much like a TV commercial, and that's no, yeah, it, that's it totally feels corporate. Ne- yeah, that's not a, a criticism necessarily of Cass Mortimer Iper I- who's making this movie, but it is kind of unfortunate that uh, this type of art is now no longer considered art it's now commerce and so yeah right i I can appreciate it as maybe a demo reel but it's difficult for me to Mm -hmm. understand the actual artistic ambition of something like this right yeah i mean yeah the reason you watch this is just for all of the incredibly sexual dances like these these like six people like they are either just did or are about to like do some rails and then just do each other like that's like they are like that's what it feels like like they're about to they're about to just go for it it, as soon as the cameras are off it's it's the prelude to the after party that's the interesting part 
Yeah. Um, so it's it's fun to watch, but yeah, it is. It just it. I I found myself chuckling to myself while watching it. It's just like, <laughs> yeah, this is this is. This is cool, man. Yeah, I get you. It's it's so so neato. Um, speaking of of fifties mm. terms, um, the king um, is a four minute short uh, from what's his name? It's like Jonathan. Uh, John- Jonathan uh, uh, Jonathan Jonathan Renovid. I have it here in front of me. Right, right. Or and re- uh, this redavid, is yeah. Redavid. Redavid. Yeah, it's a, it's the second one. Um, there was a David before. There was a Jonathan David before him, and then then he came along and, uh, and fixed it. Um, <laughs> and, and this is a dance film and, that looks like uh, a burlesque that I've done. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> um, yeah, the King is it's it's an ode to the King of Rock and Roll. It's all about Elvis. It's mm-hmm. a mashup of a bunch of Elvis songs and. Um, a bunch of group of dancers in 50s outfits uh, uh, dancing to him and having little tiny uh, vignettes of like a guy comes up it was like a, what is it it's like a the greaser or whatever and comes up with a comb mm-hmm. to c- comb to shank him and then combs the other guy's hair and uh, like there's these little little that, that moments was, within it that but, was my favorite bit where he combs the other guy's hair and there's like the a guy's hair a, a, yeah. a, a little tiny taste of Scorpio rising for a second uh uh-huh, but yeah, yeah, for the most part, it is just choreography to rock and roll music. It's a music video. It feels yeah. like a, it feels like a music video. Um, yeah, this was this was my least favorite, mainly mm. because I'm just not that big an Elvis guy. Like, mm. I think Lilo and Stitch is great, and that's about as far as I go with Elvis. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> when uh, when I was young, the uh, the eternal battle was between. Uh, for some reason, the rivalry is between Elvis and the Beatles. Like, who? What is like the, right. the ultimate, like the pinnacle of all rock and roll? And there were Elvis people, and there were Beatles people, and never the twain shall meet. And uh, you know, the the nineteen fifties legacy of Elvis Presley is something that cannot be disputed. I feel like there's a kind of retro cool going through culture right now, where Elvis is currently in ascendancy, and uh, the Beatles are a little bit on the down. But you know. The Beatles will come back, essentially. But, uh, yeah, this is just a a fun tribute to the King. It's an excuse to get dressed up in those fun outfits and show off your dance moves. Um, uh, I I like the choreography a lot. I like this this kind of dancing as well. It's not all just, Mm -hmm. you know, buff guys twitching on on a rock in Australia. It's also sometimes very (laughs) highly choreographed things. This is the only one where the dancers seem like they're having fun like they're actually enjoying yeah they're all like yeah they're Mm. all like happy and Mm. and singing and one girl faints like ooh, the elvis impersonator is looking at me yeah yeah yeah. it's 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 just light and enjoyable it's a a romp there's something to be said for just the good times you have while listening to elvis music uh i'm not a big fan of uh the band One Direction. I don't know a whole lot about them, but I know they did put out a song called Best Song Ever. And uh, the uh, the song Best Song Ever is about how uh, we danced all night. Cut we danced all night to the best so song I'm ever. I'm just going to wait till... Oh, we, all right. we lost uh, our connection I'm sorry, you, you cut out for a little bit. Okay. Uh, well, I was, I was yeah. talking about One Direction and Best Song Ever and how uh, they danced all night to the okay. best song ever, but he doesn't remember what it is. And the point of the song is... 
it's great because you're in love. That's the fun part about the song. It doesn't really matter what the song is. Mm -hmm. It's just about the experience of being young and falling in love. And just listen to rock and roll music and have a good time. And that's the king. Uh, it, is it a yeah. is it a grand piece of art? Is it a treatise on Elvis? No, it's none of that. It's just fun. No, it's just fun to dance. Yeah, I, I can see why you'd call it your yeah. least favorite because it is kind of the the lightest and I, I hesitate yeah, to say least slight. meaningful, but yeah, it, it's it's still fun to watch. Yeah, no, it's 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 only four minutes. Like it goes by like that. Yeah, it's yeah. just like oh yeah, that was that was a neat eyeball candy for uh, for a few minutes. Um, <laughs> All right, um, and that brings us to uh, Lost Horse, Asaf Avedon. Um, this is another uh, repeat uh, filmmaker. Uh, Adi uh, Hilfen, or uh, Hulfen, Hulfen yeah. um, made a short in uh, 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 The Best of Fest 1, which is called Earth Odyssey, and that was, I think, my favorite of that series of short films. Um, it was a bunch of people dancing in their homes during the lockdown, um, and some were doing it outside, some were doing it in their living room, some had dressed up, some were in their pajamas, um, filming themselves, had their partner filming them, whatever, and it was just this very, you know, uh, uh, homemade quality to it that I really enjoyed, and the songs that are used for uh, Adi Halfin's films are songs by the Israeli singer-songwriter Asaf Avedon, and here it's a couple that we see um, sing to the song Lost Horse, which is the title um, of, of the short. And it's them and in a relationship and maybe they're having trouble with their relationship. It's not really clear. Um, the entire, in terms of technical, the, the entire short is in slow motion, um, is using slow motion throughout. And, um, and it's about, and so we're seeing the movement that way. And, they're in the rain under the spotlight and it's it's very moody and mm. and sensual and and i quite liked it um uh, the problem is i feel about this the same way i feel about id it's like i'm, I'm waiting for the product logo to show up i feel like there's there's okay. a, a lot of uh you know a lot of shorthand that i has been co-opted by tv commercials so mm -hmm. you know the the close-ups of somebody's hand on a steering wheel or a face on a pillow or somebody <laughs> leaning over a counter and it, it feels like and and be sure to vi visit you know home goods and pick up a pitcher while you're there and <laughs> you're gonna go on a we're going to go on a, a road trip and it's a good thing we have our subaru with us it, it really um <laughs> It, it feels like it's trying to sell a lifestyle and it's difficult i know this is actually a documentary film so which actually we're actually just seeing a real life style <laughs> rather mm -hmm. than selling a lifestyle but they're using the same language so uh right it, it this was my this was my least favorite of the bunch actually because it okay. feels so much like it's trying to sell a brand rather than celebrate a person and uh, okay I don't know. Maybe I maybe that's I feel uh, it, uh, my interpretation of sort of like modern life because so many of us are trying to sell ourselves as a brand. Branding yourself is now mm -hmm. just sort of a natural part of our social interaction, uh, and so maybe that's my own bitter bitterness leaking in. But yeah, it's it's difficult for me to look past that and enjoy something like Lost Wars. I I wonder if you had seen uh, Earth Odyssey first, uh, mm. because that maybe um, like this this uh, this other the filmmaker's other other work that it might 
remove some of that connotation to it just because of how earnest um like the the just like these are just people they're just you know they're just dancing because it's what they do and mm-hmm. they want to they want to have fun and it feels it it feels honest and and endearing and so going walk going into this one knowing that it was the same person i felt like that i was already in that mindset of just like you know this is just people filming each other because they like each other and they're just trying to document their lives in this time and so Mm i i they're of a piece and so i'm and so i wonder if if you had seen that one first if maybe you wouldn't have had the that uh 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 interpretation of it which which i understand because okay, now yeah, thinking yeah. back on it, it's like oh yeah i have seen those shots in commercials uh, yeah yeah then um, like the exact kind of photography the exact kind of it, it's edited far too fast so we're not getting any kind of like natural look at these people's lives it's just like little quick snippets and yeah you could take 30 seconds of any bit of this short and it would it would feel like a tv commercial and that's that's really unfortunate yeah um yeah well, so there it is, and uh, and that brings us to the final uh, short, which is certainly the most ambitious. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, Second Seed is from a directing duo. Uh, they call themselves Bay and Asa. It's sixteen minutes long, and this one has something to say. Um, uh, and, second, and, and this is my favorite uh, by far. This is okay. my favorite. I really loved this short. Um, yeah, uh, Bay and Asa are they—they're trying to use uh, like dance and experimental film techniques to essentially explode the myths presented in D.W. Griffith's *Birth of a Nation*, the... uh, specifically the film *Birth of a Nation*, uh, and and not just um, uh, a reconstructionist uh, America. It's it was um, so it it. The dancing part takes place in in the woods, and there are a lot of uh, conflicts from Birth of a Nation that are recreated in dance form here, but they're presenting them in such a way that these are uh, actually uh, issues of white fragility as presented through uh, the the conflict as interpreted through Birth of a Nation, the Civil War as interpreted through Birth of a Nation, and they do so in using actual intertitles from Birth of a Nation to underline the action in the short. Um, and uh, it's actually able to communicate its point very well through dance and through these intertitles. And it is actually showing that uh, this kind of uh, white supremacist fear, if you're familiar with white supremacist talking points, which unfortunately a lot of people in America have become really intimately familiar with, uh, a lot of the language is sort of like this fear of being supplanted, of being taken over, this fear of the other, uh, that the the white people need to be on top. This is the, the language that are that is being used by white supremacists, and uh, this short is using dance to show kind of how pathetic that is and how based in fear all of that is, and how a lot of it is just sort of this orgiastic celebration of one's own whiteness to the point where we have two dancers literally spraying white paint on each other while other people sort of dance away, uh, kind of ignoring them as they roll around in their orgy of whiteness. Um, 
if you've seen Birth of a Nation, first of all, I apologize. Uh, that that is a just a horrendous piece of work. Uh, it is a, a racist film full of racist lies that it has been celebrated to this day by white supremacist groups and. There was a long time when Birth of a Nation was taught in film schools, and it was taught as this really important movie, and uh, all of these myths that were taught in class about how it was the first film to use cross-cutting, and it used all of these really revolutionary film techniques, so we have to keep looking at it, even though it has really rough subject matter. And uh, as such, it was used as this kind of... No stamp, there you go. Uh, Bye-bye. <laughs> Can you still hear me? I right. think I hello. Hello. Okay. Yep. I think I got, You're back. I, think I got kicked off there for a second. <laughs> um, yeah, Birth of a Nation was like held up as this example of uh, really important film techniques, and it, it. I became increasingly uncomfortable with it as years passed because it is just a film that unabashedly celebrates the Ku Klux Klan. It, not even ironically, not even, you know, tragically. This is just about how the Ku Klux Klan... It's a superhero movie. Yeah, the Klan are superheroes that are going to save whiteness from the rising tide of blackness. That's what the movie is about. And uh, when I finally saw Spike Lee's Black Klansman, which actually shows... Uh, a modern-day white supremacist group watching it and cheering it on, I realized I was finally done. I don't need to be uncomfortable with, you know, celebrating this. I don't need to find, you know, feel ambivalent about it. I can just reject it. And I think the world needs to reject it. And I think we really need to ha have a serious talk about our relationship with Birth of a Nation. Uh, we, we need to break up with Birth of a Nation. And so I'm going to support any work of art that contends with that and confronts that and shows what a horrendous legacy the film has had on the actual right. politics of this nation. Yeah. Um, so you you've you've seen Birth of a Nation? Uh, yes, I have. I've I've actually watched the whole thing. Okay. So I haven't seen the Birth of a Nation. Um, I've seen clips from it, like the most famous. Uh, various clips always mm. presented like like I saw like the clips like while watching like Ava DuVernay's 13th oh there you go yeah. um, thankfully the birth of a nation was not taught at my film school um, in my film 101 um, the only class that I saw that it was actually being discussed was a class like on like race in film um, and so where it's like I'm assuming like showing all of the issues with it and such and such um so I've never seen it, and I've never really cared to. Um, <laughs> uh, don't, and I don't think don't, I ever will. Yeah, don't see it. Don't watch it. You you know um, about it. You know about what it does. I think you're fine. Right. I I know like all of the historical context. Uh, movies silently on Twitter um, is has a bunch of like articles and threads, basically taking down every single thing that people vaunt about it as the reason why we should still hold it up as important. It's like, no other films did all of this first. Mm -hmm. It, uh, in the second seat, it says at the beginning, like that this was the first film screen at the white house. It wasn't even that there were films screened there before then. So mm -hmm. like, it doesn't even hold that distinction. And so I've, I've never, I've never, and yeah, and it is still held up as this brilliant piece of art. Um, uh, over on, uh, there's this YouTube channel called Cinefix, uh, Cinefix, which is now like IG, owned by IGN or whatever, but like they, they're known for putting out these very well-researched like li lists of recommendations, like top 10 lists or whatever mm. of, you know, 
best uh, examples of slow cinema or best subgenre. Like it's it's very very thorough. Um, mm. They're the people who introduced me uh, to Tarkovsky's Mirror because they unabashedly, almost to a comical degree, adore that movie. Um, <laughs> and they put it as like the number one film on like eight different lists because of just how much they love it. But anyway, like they're in their list of like the most influential directors, like best directors of all time. Like at number eight, they put like Spike Lee is like, you know, there are good diverse filmmakers. Then at number one is D.W. Griffith for how important he is. And it's just like, come on, come on, come on. Grumble, grumble, I say. Anyway. But yeah, second seed, um, I'll be honest, I didn't really respond to it because I was Hmm. waiting for... Because, and maybe it's a case of having not seen the film. I'm not, like, there are moments where I see where or what it's getting at. Mm. Um, obviously, the moment with the white paint. Um, like, where they're, doubt, like, these two white dancers are just covering each other in white paint and writhing in ecstasy and, like, like and, and the two... Uh, black dancers are just backing away from them and then we get the title card baptized in glory Um, like it's and there's one moment where it we're intercutting between scenes in a forest and also on like a stage with spotlights like a a, a black void um, a la the last letter Frederick Wiseman's uh, film but there's one moment in the void where all the dancers, they bring in the white dancer who has previously in the short murdered a white woman for sleeping with a black man mm-hmm. um, or for being romantically involved with a black man, uh, the black dancer. Um, and where they drag him in on his knees and hold him up. Like they grab his hair and pull up his head. And like, I know that shot from the birth of a nation. Like I've seen that image um, where they do that with a, with a black man. Um, And so I see like various moments, but the overall, I felt like, I don't know, it was a little muddled and I wasn't really sure where it was going or what it was trying to say. Other than like, I knew where their intentions were. Mm -hmm. They stated up front um, about that the birth of a nation is horrendous and let's take it down. I just, by the end of it, I felt like I wasn't really sure what they had done. Uh. Um, (laughs) So maybe it's an issue of not having seen the movie and not really known like the intricacies of what that movie's, the imagery from that film and thus, but like I, I, I had, I obviously greatly admire the effort and all that and i respect it tremendously though mm. i ultimately i didn't really get a whole ton out of it so mm. that's just that's just me though and I so know, the, uh, yeah i i i think it's in i i see that it's actually playing into a lot of um kind of victimhood narratives that we see in a lot of uh modern day white supremacist news networks uh <laughs> that who shall here remain mm. fox news and um <laughs> this i this idea that uh white people are oppressed like they're no we you're asking us to consider others that's a form of oppression on us the people who are traditionally the oppressors you are not actually oppressing us this is a big part of uh a lot of right-wing politics right now that uh they are actually the ones on the outside who are being oppressed by these evil powers who are forcing them to care 
And uh, mm-hmm. I feel like that's what this short is kind of getting at, that these people who see see themselves as the traditional victims and all they really have is their whiteness, this orgy of white paint that they can roll around in on a forest floor getting sticky and disgusting. Uh, I, I feel like it's actually getting at something really kind of salient. Um, it, okay. it's definitely blunt about it. It's an experimental film, but I think it actually has something important to say. So I've, I've responded very, uh, yeah, the, the sort of, the, the funniest bit is the baptized in glory. They're sort of coating themselves in paint and they're doing all of these sort of like swirling camera movements and there's close-ups of the bodies and it's all very elaborately choreographed. And then mm-hmm. it'll sh- it shows the intertitle baptized in glory. And then it cuts to this wide shot of the two dancers coated in white paint just sort of rolling around on the ground and there's two dancers <laughs> standing off to the side not dancing they're just sort of watching them kind of embarrassed and then they just exit yeah. frame and i think that that's sort of yeah. the most powerful moment because it's kind of comedic it and it makes it the, the point of how pathetic these these you know these people are right yeah uh one uh, stylistic choice that they made which i wasn't a fan of mm. is that they cut to black after every single shot oh well did you notice that uh, yeah i mean that's <laughs> is that the, and it's like there's a lot of like shaky crit- camera movement and then cut to black yeah, yeah, and yeah. then yeah anyway and i just found i i got tired of that after about 10 minutes i was just like okay can we have like <laughs> a, at least one shot in con like cut in continuity mm. or are we going to cut to black every single time anyway um, but yeah, uh, it's, it's, it's definitely, it's, it's, it, it works on some level. I just, I don't know. Hmm. Um, it, it, it didn't, it didn't connect with me the way that it did with you. Okay. Um, so, yeah, the- all right. So that's, that's what, that's what we saw in Ovid. Um, mm-hmm. this is a lot of, a lot of things and also very short because Cordietto Dreams is only an hour and 20 minutes and this amounts to just over an hour. I think this might be like an hour fifteen, all told. The best mm. of Fest two. Um, so, yeah. So that's that's what we saw in Ovid. Um, there is a lot more Patricio Guzman on Ovid. Um, the yeah, entire the three parts of the Battle of Chile is on there, which amounts to like somewhere around like four and a half hours, um, as well as the other two installments of the triptych that the Cordillera of Dreams forms: uh, Nostalgia for Light and the Pearl Button. Um, which are also explorations of like various like pieces of geography intermingled with politics and personal reflection. And so that might be interesting to explore. Um, but also we could just watch whatever we want besides. So mm. I don't know. Uh, we're going to be off next week because uh, you're going to be uh, with, with family, um, which will give me more time to watch stuff. Um, so we'll, we'll be back in two weeks um, with, uh, a, a huge amount of an epic new, well, just whatever we get to see on Ovid. Right. But so are you, th- are you maybe curious about exploring more, but Guzman or do we want to go off in a new direction? Well, I was hoping to see all three films in, in the triptych, the Pearl Button, Nostalgia for the Light and Cordillera of Dreams. I only had time enough, unfortunately mm-hmm. for Cordillera, but um, yeah, I, I want to know a little bit more about Patricio Guzman. So I'll at least try to watch those other two films and see how they sort of speak to and communicate with Cordillera. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, maybe just explore other things besides. There's all constantly things I'm eyeballing, and uh, there's yeah. there's actually a heck of a lot more uh, films from Chile. So maybe it'll be an all all Chile right. fest next time. Yeah, um, 
Yeah, uh, uh, I was going to say something profound. Oh, yeah, uh, one of the films that uh, Patrice Guzman directed that isn't on Ovid that I was kind of hoping was is he made a film much in the vein of Joshua Oppenheimer's The Look of Silence. Um, He made a film where, because uh, the Battle of Chile wasn't really screened in Chile for obvious reasons, political suppression. Mm-hmm. Um, like the, and, and so he showed them outside uh, uh, of the country and got a lot of international acclaim and illuminated a lot of the rest of the parts of the world um, about what was happening in Chile. But a lot of the people in Chile, like it was, again, like I always said, like the news was just suppressing it all and they weren't talking about it. And so he actually made a documentary about where he went to various communities in Chile and showed his documentary to them and like got their reactions of realizing what had happened mm-hmm. um, that they hadn't been informed of, that they had, that had been hidden from them. And so that film isn't on Ovid, but I'm, I'm interested in seeing that one, but yeah, so I might catch up on nostalgia, light the pearl button um, and whatever else besides, as you say. <laughs> um, so I guess with that, um, that's that'll that'll pretty much do it for this week. Um, that's a dozen episodes of All About Ovid in the can. Uh, there we go. Pat ourselves on the back or whatever. Um, Whitney, where can people find you? Um, I'm I'm part of uh, crit- the Critically Acclaimed Network. Uh, me and William Bibiani have a whole slew of podcasts, and we're constantly recording. Uh, we were up until two a.m. recording last night, and we'll be up again till two a.m. tonight recording again. Uh, but yeah, go over to uh, the Critically Acclaimed Network. You can subscribe. You can get some stuff for free. You can subscribe to our Patreon, get uh, other podcasts uh, like our Star Trek podcast or our Batman podcast. We just recorded a commentary track for Mystery Science Theater 3000, the movie, which was kind of a strange uh, experience because that is already a commentary track in a way. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, uh, just look me up. We're also on all the social medias. Say hi. We'll say hi back. We're friendly people. All right. And then as for me, Twitter Letterboxd at Blu-ray Closet. Um, we've got so much stuff out on our own uh, made feed, our Patreon. Like, we're releasing all of our Patreon stuff to to the main feed. Um, we released 24 podcasts um, to the main feed in the month of July, which is the exact same amount of podcasts that the Critically Acclaimed Network released, uh, all told, in July. Um, so for one month... Um, one month, the screen's margins put out as much as the masters of output, um, the critically acclaimed network. I'm happy we have that reputation um, anyway. And and I'll and I'll just a little peek behind the curtain is I was talking with Bibbs on the 31st. Um, just chat. We just we're, we had a little chat, and um, and he was gonna put out uh, your episode of only the best on the 31st, and I was like, if you wait. If you just put it out tomorrow, then then we'll have released the same amount of stuff. And he was like, okay, I'll do it for you. And so I, I was able to tie y'all um, in terms of, of putting stuff out. Anyway, I'm glad we could facilitate but, that. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, that is that. Uh, thank you very much for listening. Um, because we know that there's a pool these days when it comes to films. We focus only on the big and the mainstream stuff. So, <laughs> thanks for spending time with us today here on The Margins. Good afternoon. Thank mm-hmm. you.